I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, if you will. This has been the uh, the text that we have been studying, and we've been looking at the new man, which is uh, also the church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, And to them that were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And so I want to just draw a couple of things out from what we've just read. Kind of as a way of remembrance, but foundationally for us to proceed further today. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died, shed his blood, not simply so you could go to heaven when you die. God has always wanted to have the church. Ephesians chapter 3 would go on and say that this idea of the church was hid in God. It was hid in his heart from eternity past. It has been the desire of God throughout the eternal ages to have the church. Jesus' sacrifice was not simply so you could go to heaven when you die. Jesus' sacrifice was so that the Father would be able to have what he has eternally wanted. And that is the church. And the church, by definition that we just read, is the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not in it, it's not the church. And I have been in numbers of Pentecostal churches that lack the life And the fire of the Holy Spirit. And we can call ourselves churches all we want. But if the Holy Spirit is not there, it is not a church. And the purpose of that sacrifice of Jesus Christ is twofold. Number one, by the Spirit, we can come to the Father. That's where we should live. We should live before the Father. We should live in intimacy with Him. And we also understand that this church constitutes the new man. There is a new man in the earth since the resurrection of Jesus. And that man is unique to the earth. He was not here before the crucifixion. He appeared after the crucifixion. And this new man has walked through the earth for the fame and the glory of Jesus Christ. He is not a unique man. He's not a normal man. He is, by definition, a supernatural man. He is filled with the Spirit of God and walks in supernatural power. 
He, where he goes, brings healing and brings deliverance and casts out devils and turns men from darkness to light and death to life. That is the essence of that new man. If that new man is not doing that, then something is wrong with that man. But I believe that the Holy Spirit in every generation has preserved a remnant that is that man. There's a multitude of people that congregate around the man, and we call this churches. And we have a lot of people that go to church, and that is about all that may constitute their walk with Jesus Christ. I go to church. And so there is that which gravitates around the new man, but is not the new man. They are just simply the religion of Christianity living on the fringes, have no real relationship with the Father, have no real life in the Holy Spirit, have never really classically been born again of God, where their heart has changed, their life has changed, their thoughts have changed because of the entrance of the Holy Spirit into their life. So I'm talking about that new man And that new man is gifted, and that new man is supernatural. And that is the way that God has intended this new man to live in the earth. We are functioning as the body of Christ. As I said before, the church is not you. You by yourself are not the church. You are a part of the many. And it is the many that makes up the new man. You by yourself are not the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches that very plainly. For the church is not one, but many. And so it is the many that make up the one new man. And the Holy Spirit places us in the church where it pleases him, not where it pleases you. Church is not about you. Church is not about your needs first. Church is not about your personality. Church is not about everybody serving you because you have a need. Church is about the Father. Church is about glorifying God. Church is about living in the Holy Spirit and fulfilling His purposes in the earth and in this generation for Jesus Christ. The music's not for you. The preaching's not for you. The giving's not for you. Everything is for Jesus. And the new man would have it no other way. But religious people would say, oh no, it's about me. It's about me. Now we, we amen that in the preaching of it. But from the day-to-day life of the church, there are many who are disgruntled and murmur and complain because they feel overlooked or they feel left out or they feel like their needs are not being met. And so they murmur and gripe and complain because it really, in their life, it is about them. But for the new man, it's about Jesus Christ. And when you understand this, then you do not go to church. You don't. You understand that I'm a part of the church. And for church to happen, it depends upon me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If church is to happen, if this new man is to happen, then it depends upon me being in my place in the body and being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If the, if the church is the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit and he gives us gifts through which he can manifest himself, then if I just attend a church, look for a seat and sit there, then I'm just doing religious church. But if I understand that for God to get his desires, I must have the Holy Spirit and move in the gifts of the Spirit, now church can happen. And you have to fulfill your role. And it's an amazing sense, amazing feeling to put yourself in a place of demand. To consider that the undertakings of God, they actually do rest upon you. If God is going to get what he wants today, he cannot do it without you. And you can say, well, God's God. He's going to do anything he wants to do and he's going to get anything he wants to get. Well, I've got news for you, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. And it says this, if you look at it very closely in verse 10, that to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. He can do anything that he wants to do. But he has attached himself to his church, and if supernatural powers... And the presence of evil in this world is to be pushed back by the powerful wisdom of God. It will not happen without the church. It's right there in verse 10. It is by the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. That puts a a demand upon my life. It puts a demand upon my faith because I love God. And because I want God to have what he wants in this world. Now, I'm going to refer to Romans chapter 12. Because Paul gives some instructions in Romans 12. About how we should pursue this life of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to primarily be reading from verse 9. But I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible. And I'm also going to stress some words. As they are defined by the Thayer's Greek Dictionary as I read it. So I'm asking you, if you want to read the passages, it's verse 9 through 16. Take a moment and read it now. Because what I'm about to read to you is a fuller definition of the words. And I would like for you to hear them as I read it. And this is, as I said, taken from the Amplified Bible. And hopefully that's the sufficient amount of time for you to read through those verses. Now, if you just listen to this, this is from the Amplified Bible with a greater expounding upon some of the words. Let your Christian love be unhypocritical. Y'all look at me, please. I want you to hear this. Let your Christian love be unhypocritical, always turning in horror from what is evil. It's not the new Dracula movie. The word evil there is whatever does not benefit the body of Christ. That's evil. Whatever does not benefit the body of Christ, whatever divides the body, whatever hurts the body, whatever hinders the body, turn in horror from that. Would to God you did that the next time somebody wanted to gossip with you. Would to God we did that the next time we were tempted by the devil to murmur. 
that we would turn in horror from that evil because this is not a, this is what I'm, what I'm feeling and sensing is not about to help the church. But oftentimes we participate in that. That's why I wanted you to hear that word. Because when you read evil, you think Dracula maybe, or you think zombies, or you think some murderer out there, or the trans movement. That's not what he's talking about. Then he says this, joining yourselves to what is good. So you turn in horror from what is not benefiting the church, and you join yourself to what is good. And the word good there means what benefits the church. You turn to that. This is something that you purposefully have to do. You have the choice to do it. And so you turn yourself, you join yourself to what is good. That means promotes unity, that promotes health, that edifies the body of Christ. Participate in that and refuse in horror to turn and participate in anything else. And the Bible goes on and it says this in regards to that. That spiritual gifts, and this is the explanation in the Thayer's Greek, spiritual gifts should benefit the body of Christ. They should never be used in such a way to bring discredit on the church. Spiritual gifts should be in submission and supervision and approval of the church and its leaders. And the profit of spiritual gifts is to produce this, the fulfillment of needs, the unity of the body of Christ, and the expression of love. When the, when the true gift of the Holy Spirit is operating through somebody's life, it's going to be able to meet specific needs that are in the body. It is going to promote unity, and it is going to demonstrate the love of God. That's how the Holy Spirit, you can tell when he's moving, because that is what is being done. So you're turning in hard. The next time you're tempted to go on Facebook... And write an accusation against a church member or against a church because I was left out or I felt lonely or this happened and that happened or nobody was there for me. Reach up into heaven, grab the beard of Jesus and slap his face. Because that's what we're doing. We should turn in horror from that. And if there's an issue that somebody has with another person in the body of Christ and we can't get over it. I mean, try to get over it first, because if we just went over every little thing that bugs us, that's we we would spend our whole time doing that. Right. But if there's something you really can't get past, then go alone to that individual in love and be willing to redeem the situation, which means be willing to forgive and put it behind just like God has forgiven us. And so I continue on in this. If you're. In your brotherly love to one another, be tenderly affectionate. Take the lead in showing honor and respect to one another. Take the lead. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Well, I never get asked to lunch. And so we sit around another month testing everybody in the church. Is somebody going to ask me to lunch? Don't do that. You take the lead. You pick up the phone. You ask somebody to lunch. You minister to the body. You buy the coffee for somebody. You make it happen. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's about the health of his body. That's what this is about. It's about your opportunity to love. It's your opportunity to give. Your opportunity to serve. And when you do that, you will be in a greater place of intimacy with God. 
and a fulfillment of God in your life. In earnest diligence, never lag behind. Never lag behind. Be aglow with the Spirit. Be on fire with the Holy Spirit. You know if you are or not. Many of you may claim, well, I'm on fire in the Holy Ghost because you can point to it back 13 years ago. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and I spoke in tongues. So I'm on fire in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're on fire in the Holy Spirit. That fire can be quenched. That fire can begin to go out, needs to be fanned to get. You know if you are. If you're lagging behind, stop. Catch up with the body of Christ. Catch up with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Let that fire of the Holy Ghost be restored in your life again. So be aglow with the Spirit. Rendering service as a slave to the Lord. By the blessed hope of Jesus' return, keep yourself joyful and cheerful. There's enough depression in the world. The church should be the place of happiness. It should be the place of joy. Not because we don't have problems, but because we have a God who is with us even in the midst of problems. And he brings us through and we have the victory through Jesus Christ. Endure steadfastly in the time of trouble and persecution. And preserving or preserving, I'm sorry, persevering in your prayer life. Constantly devoting yourself to prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, God's people. I gave you an opportunity to do that earlier. Seeking eagerly for opportunities to show hospitality. You seek it eagerly. Sometimes we forget to take the offering up. There's a handful of you that remind us of that. That's a blessing, you know. We weren't thinking about it. Thank you that, well, I wanted to give. And somebody reminds us of that. Some people... Rejoice when it's time to give or serve. But it's not just in money. You just seek opportunities to meet the needs of the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Stop cursing them. Bless them. Share the joy of those who rejoice. And share the grief of those who weep. Live in harmony by being like-minded with one another. Do not be high-minded or have a haughty attitude. But associate with the lowly members and accept humble duties. Do not consider yourself wise in your own conceited estimation of yourself. But just appreciate what God is to you. We're to remain fervent in the spirit. We're to remain powerful in the Holy Ghost. We're to be an inspired, determined, outstanding, and superb man in the earth. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And that should be evident in every generation and in our communities. There's great division in our communities. There's great division in churches. We're striving as a church to try to bridge that division. Every month we call together local leaders. It's happening this Tuesday. And we call local leaders together and pastors and ministers together. To have a time of edification and a time of prayer and a time of friendship. God's been blessing that for years. And we're doing everything we can so that the church can be outstanding in the world and in the city of Baton Rouge. You, yourself, are anointed to live an outstanding life, a supernatural life. So I ask you the question, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're involved with that you are doing things that are way beyond your ability? Way beyond your ability. Something supernatural Is it work in your life? Because you're anointed for that. You're inspired for that. 
This is not a weekend mission trip. This is a daily life. And you throw yourself into the joy of his calling. And you know that experience of his indwelling presence and grace. And this is what we do. To be fervent. To be aglow. To be boiling over with the Holy Spirit. So the river of the Holy Spirit can come out of that new man. I want to go to two passages. First Timothy chapter 4. And Paul says this to his son in the faith in verse 14. Neglect not the gift that is in you. And I say this to you, beloved, you can neglect your gift. And you and God know if that's happened. And if you have neglect that gift, praise God, the Lord doesn't take it away from you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And if you have not been operating in your gift, stir that back up. Neglect not the gift that is in you which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly or completely to them that your profiting may appear to all. And you take heed to yourself and doctrine and truth. In Second Timothy, again, he writes to this young man and he says in verse 6, Wherefore I put you in remembrance, Second Timothy 1.6, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. Notice that is a particular calling to an individual. You stir up the gift that is in you. People can't do that for you. You can be called to do it. People can preach in such a way that calls you to examine yourself and maybe inspire you to do it. But this is something that you have to do. You have to stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And one of the things that was quenching Timothy's gift was his age. He, he, he was somewhat apprehensive to step out in faith because he was younger than most everybody else. And he was ministering to, to men and, and women that were elders for him, that were much older than him. And Paul would have to say, God hasn't given you that spirit of timidity. And that's what the fear is. It's timidity. It's holding back. It's being apprehensive. What will the people think? Maybe the people don't respect me. Maybe nobody there likes me. Maybe no, I, I, every time I come to church, I'm, I'm under this impression. Absolutely nobody wants to hear you talk today. It, you know, and I struggle to get up here because of that feeling of timidity in my life. You know, that, that it's, it's just what I deal with. And, and I have to claim God has not given me the spirit of timidity. God gives me the spirit of love and a sound mind and power. And I'm going forth to give God what he's called me to do. And supernatural for me to be up here. It's not my nature or my character to be able to do this at all. Or to sing. I love to sing. I hate to sing in front of people. And so it is just something that God is doing through me. In order to do these things in my life. And so what is it that that causes you to be apprehensive in serving God? What is it that intimidates you? What is it that is trying to restrain you? That is trying to hold you back? God hasn't given you that spirit. God gives you the spirit that goes forth. And believes God. And trusts God. And does the wonders of God. 
You don't have to be ashamed about your past. You don't have to be ashamed of your age. You don't have to be ashamed of your education because you're not operating in that. You're operating in the Holy Ghost, in the gift of God. And the new body will celebrate that. Maybe religious people will gripe about it. So let them. Let them. But let God be God. And let the Holy Spirit be able to move in his church. Paul was stunned by the opportunity to get to serve God. He was stunned by ministry. The opportunity of ministry. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I mean, he's saying this to the people like he's trying to, hey, wake up, shake, wake up yourself. Man. Do you understand? We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? You know, what, what if your country called you up and said, we want you to serve as an ambassador of the United States of America to some country? That would be an incredible honor, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd be telling your family, you'd be telling your friends, you'd be praying and say, my country wants me to serve as an ambassador. That is a high, high honor that a country would bestow upon anybody. And Paul is saying that the God of heaven has called you to be his ambassador. There's nothing greater, nothing greater. I remember reading stories about some of the old men of the 1800s, 1700s and 1800s who were being asked to move out of the church and go into politics and said, I would never stoop to do a job so beneath me or beneath God. I have been called to the highest office in the land to serve the king of heaven. Why would I serve the king of a country or even be one when I can serve the king of kings? What, 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 a, what a prestigious thought of serving God and being involved in the things of the Lord. So I want to come to this in Hebrews 13. Well, first of all, Hebrews chapter 10. And we're, we're, what we're doing is we talk about the new man. Over the next few weeks, we're going to go into the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And what that looks like and how that happens through your life. I, I, I want you to have a biblical foundation of that. But I want you to I want you to notice this as we go into that in Hebrews 10. He says in verse 19, which I think ties us back to Ephesians 2, when he says we have access by the spirit to God. We're supposed to come to the father. We're supposed to be with the father. And he says this in verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That, that's amazing. That's so radical. Sometimes it's a shame we grew up on Christianity. This is such a profound, radical statement that you can go right up into the very presence of God Almighty. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more 
as you see the day approaching. Beloved, do you see the day approaching? Do you see all of the prophetic events as they are converging together in our generation? And the wonder, I think it was John the Apostle who said, this is the last hour. That was 2,000 years ago. The last hour. And all of these events, these prophetic events are converging in our generation. The fundamental and rapid acceleration of knowledge and technology is overwhelming even the scientists today. And any of you that kind of tinker with this as far as trying to understand the fear that scientists and tech, techno people have over the accelerating brilliance of AIs is alarming our world system. Not to mention the, the perils that people face. And I mean, it is the real belief of numbers of people. I, there, there might be other means and motives behind it, but I think most of the people that we see on TV that are worried about the environment are sincere. They're really worried about it. They really believe that we're going to burn up in less than 10 years. They really believe that the world is about to face famines that have been unparalleled in human history. I believe we're about to meet Jesus. I believe in the rapture. I believe that the rapture is imminent. At any moment, he could come. And I believe that the tribulation is something that is just before us. And do you know that within the first couple of years of the tribulation, these environmentalists are right? What they fear is right? There is going to be unparalleled, unprecedented famine. There is going to be the fact that men on earth are burned because of the loss of atmosphere and the sun burning men on the earth. Read your Bibles. What they are fearful of, the Bible says, is about to happen. And I believe that we as the new man of Jesus Christ in this generation as no other generation that has ever lived have the opportunity to live such a superb and supernatural life in the Holy Ghost like few generations have ever witnessed of Jesus. And I believe that if we could understand that and know that this moment of His coming is here, it is at hand. The Bible says, don't forsake each other. Don't for, well, if you're living Romans chapter 12 is the way that I read it earlier. If you're living that, you're not going to forsake the body. Your love's going to be sincere and it's going to be real. It's going to be fervent. It's going to be on fire. For God, you're going to look for opportunities to help the saints. You're going to look for ways to serve God. You're going to look for opportunities to give. You're going to be hospitable. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be on fire with God. You're going to pray without ceasing. And if you're praying without ceasing and you're walking with the Father in such intimacy and He's speaking to you, then you know it's not life as usual. This is a unique moment in time. This is the moment when everything is converging. This is the last seconds of the game. And I'm going to leave everything on the field. And I'm going to walk in this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you're not going. But there is the manner of some that do forsake. 
that is some people's habits to forsake. And that is why I've been calling upon the church. I call upon you. Disciple the church. Evangelize the church. There are numbers of people who hardly ever go to church anymore. But they have a confession of Jesus. They, have a, they, they would have what they would profess to be a faith in Jesus. But they're very rarely with him. They're very rarely serving with the church. They're very rarely a part of that new man. And I say, most of the work is done. They already confess he's Lord. And, and we should go after them in love. We should consider them. We shouldn't condemn them. We shouldn't, we shouldn't throw them aside. We shouldn't make them feel horrible. But we should go and we should inspire them to be followers of Jesus Christ in the last few seconds of time. As well as the lost that don't even know Christ. We should go after them as well. It's an exciting opportunity that's been given to us. Call if you will. I want you to come up. Here's some instructions in Hebrews 13. I just say this to you. In regards to the new man, the body of Christ, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Let this be a foundation for us. Verse 7, this is very hard for me as your pastor to read because I wouldn't want you to think that I'm trying to bully you. But it's the word of God. Remember them, verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which is the law, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Because even those that are trying to live by the law don't live by the law. Even the religious who are demanding everybody to conform to their image are not living right. So our hearts are established with grace. Praise God. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here... We have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And the closing bookmark, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you it's not unprofitable for the ones watching you it's unprofitable for you and I, I as I said, this is kind of a difficult thing for me as the pastor to say, because I wouldn't want you to interpret my efforts to bully you. 
But God has established leadership in the church. And the Bible says in verse 9 that there are many doctrines, strange doctrines and different doctrines. We're not to be carried about with those things. Those, those doctrines, those strange things have the ability to sweep you off your feet and carry you away. I, I watch it happen all the time. When I travel, when I speak in conferences, I watch it happen all the time. I see the same old cycles of the charismatic, um, unbiblical, if you will, aspects of movements that have happened in the past. I, I see the cycles of those just kind of come back and, and nothing's really new under the sun. They just kind of make their circle and they come back. And I've watched the abuse of that. I've, I've watched these things happen. I've watched, I've tried to help. I've tried to warn churches and pastors. No, you don't go to schools to learn how to prophesy. You don't do that. It's not that we have this comfort that I can stand up in the name of a prophet and prophesy. And if I get it wrong, well, I'm just practicing. No, no, no. You don't do that here. I'm saying that. You don't do that here. As your pastor and as your leader, as the one who oversees you in your walk in the faith, we don't practice that. We trust that we're led by the Holy Spirit. And we trust that we have the faith to step out on something we believe God is doing in our life. And so it's very important for us to understand that. Even now, there is a particular, very, I'm just saying this as an example. There's tremendous movement that is occurring in Western civilization in in a lot of churches. And it's prophetic heart healing. And it's just simply the age-old inner healing. And it can be very, very dangerous. And so these are things that we have to be aware of. And so God has given leadership. He's given leadership so that we can walk together and not be carried away with divers and strange doctrines. But we can walk in the truth, establish our hearts in peace by the grace of God. And be able to exercise the gifts of the Holy Spirit with mercy. With mercy. Not with fear, but with mercy. And kindness. And encouragement. Which I believe is what you've experienced here in this church. And and so, there, there are numbers of times that people might come into the church. I say this to you, that people might come into the church. And, you know, maybe they're new. Maybe they've just joined. Or, you know, maybe they're visiting. And... Oftentimes, if they feel the Lord moving in them, they will approach me. And they will say to me during the service, I have a scripture to share. Or I have a word to give. Or there's somebody here that my heart is moved for and I'd like to pray with them. But you're the pastor. So I would like to do this under your authority. I have great respect for somebody like that. They're just recognizing the authority that's in that place And the responsibility that that pastor has for his people, I take that very seriously. And so I say that for your peace. I say that for your protection. I say that so that you will be aware that I believe in the ministry of the gifts of the Spirit and in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's not anything goes. It's that 
We have biblical guardrails we want to stay in. We have leadership that is going to help provide protection and clarity in the way that we walk. And if we walk this way and live this way, at the end of the day, for you, it's profitable. You will profit from that. And so I just encourage you with that. I was at a church speaking a couple of years ago. It was two services that Sunday morning. And God moved greatly, but I felt like the Lord was just adding a little bit of something different to my message for the second service. And I asked the pastor, I said, I feel like God is, I'm going to preach the same message, but there's something that God has moved upon me, I believe. And so there's something different I would like to bring out in the second service. So with your permission, and he said to me, pastor, I just want you to do exactly what you did in the first service. I was free. My freedom did not give me the right to trump him and say, well, I'm doing it anyway because I believe God told me. My freedom was that it's all on him now. He'll speak to God for this. But I'm free. I'm under his authority. And I'm going to follow his leadership and do what he asked. And I was a free man. And I could just go and serve the Lord in that second service as I did in the first service and leave the rest to the pastor and his desire to oversee his people. There's freedom in that, abundant freedom, and it was profitable for me. And I I rejoice in that. Father, I thank you for the church of Jesus. I thank you that we are allowed to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What What an honor. And Lord, you've called us to be supernatural in the earth. And together we are. We're not this alone. We're this together by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, where this new man walks in the earth, let the rivers of living water just flow so powerfully. Let them flow in Baton Rouge, God. Let them flow in our city. Let them flow in our communities and our educational systems, our universities, our our politics, Father. Let the rivers of the Holy Spirit flow because the church is there giving light, life. I pray, Father, that you help us to stir up the gift that is in us and to be on fire.